Hi everybody, John Kennard here. Welcome to the TJ Podcast for June 2019. This month, there's no Kate, she's on holiday, so Joe and I talk about the news, we talk about the magazine, we talk about webinars, and Pam August drops by to talk about people's strategy and culture. But first, let's discuss the news. So, let's come to the news first, and I'm not welcoming Kate Graham, because she's off sunning it in uh, uh, Zakynthos, I do believe. Um... But uh, it's Joe Cook. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Looking forward to diving into some news. It's been a while since we've done this. It has been a while. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There's, it's been a busy week for both of us. So let's talk about the respective events that we attended and also a little bit of acquisition news, which is very exciting too. Um Joe, where have you been this past week, middle of June? Where have you been? I have been at the Adobe headquarters in Shoreditch in London. And there was a customer summit for Adobe Connect and a partner summit. And I was absolutely honoured to be asked to be um, the presenter at both of those events, uh, hang around and just basically absorb Adobe greatness, get a little bit of news about where Adobe Connect is coming, which I can't tell anyone, but there is some exciting stuff coming. That would have been my next question, actually. Is there any exclusive hot hot uh, Adobe news you can give us, but apparently not? Well, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, 24th of June, they're going to be doing a press release and loads of stuff about Adobe Connect updates. Um, more, you know, people who know Adobe Connect know they're going through the HTML transition away from Flash. And so it's more of that, more of that's coming, which is really good. Uh, and all of that will come out on the 24th. So what's coming this summer and later this year is looking really good. But I've also had a sneak preview of some of the ideas that they're not committing to for next year. And some of them, from a a virtual classroom and webinar point of view maybe go oh great that's fantastic um so within virtual classrooms and adobe connect exciting news well let's keep uh, keep us up to date with all that so john we had to divide and conquer this week i was at adobe where were you well joe i was back at the old uh, kensington olympia but the event i was at was far from old it was the inaugural uh, cipd's festival of work event which was a combination i think of hr tech europe which has got a new name was it unleashed possibly so it was HR Tech plus the CIPD L&D show and some extra bits as well. And it was rather, rather vast, I would say, but uh, a, a brilliant event, I thought. Uh, lots to see and do. Um, it reminded me a lot of the ACE event in Manchester, um, mainly because the hall was the same shape, but also it was very, very, uh, very well laid out. Lots of breakout areas, lots of good conversations being had, uh, a, a, lo- a very a big focus, I think, on well-being as well. There was a whole floor that was dedicated to kind of um, uh, mindfulness, breakout areas, uh, places to just spend some time to collect your thoughts, do some work possibly, uh, and a bit more networking. Another kind of fascinating aspect of it was the way that the talks were set up at the very end of the hall. Um, you looked at the floor plan and you think, well, uh, this is one big room. How are they going to manage this? And then you got down there and it was like, uh, a silent disco at an actual festival like Glastonbury or something like that. So you had three talks uh, all going on in the same room, but with people listening to them on headphones. So you could put the volumes uh, right down on the microphones and everyone could still hear and not uh, get any interference from the other talks. Oh, brilliant. I love that. It just reduces all of that background noise, all of that issue, not missing anything. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was really good and it worked well. And I don't know whether it is by necessity or design because of the shape of the room, but either way, it it did give kind of a, a fresh perspective on how to run these things. And and uh, the talks um, all seemed to go really well. And the talks that I saw were were pretty fascinating about diversity, about flexible working. Uh, the keynote from Gary Kasparov as well 
was uh, it, it got there in the end. It was I wondered where he was going with it because he uh, talked a lot about his um, chess match with Deep Blue, obviously in the late nineties, which was kind of a mm-hmm. landmark uh, event for AI and the, the possibilities of AI. And then he brought it back to the fact that um, AI is going to be about isn't uh, artificial intelligence is about augmented intelligence and the idea of kind of co-working I guess with um with machine learning and robots and everything like that so um I was very very impressed and uh, sadly I couldn't go to day two but I thought it was it was brilliantly run and and uh, perfectly executed that sounds brilliant I look forward to that next year then so just before we wrap up the news let's talk about a recent acquisition uh, online learning company learning pool has has bought ht2 labs uh, the acquisition of uh, a company led by Dr. Ben Betts, who's a friend of the podcaster and one of the only two people I know who can get through an entire podcast interview without saying um, which is reason enough surely to acquire his company. Joe, what do you think about this recent acquisition? Well, really surprising, maybe not to people in the know or closer to the companies, obviously. Uh, but actually, Learning Pool are a reseller of various parts of HT2 Lab stuff already, such as the Learning Locker, and they integrate it in their, I think, in their own learning experience um, process product as well. So in that sense, it kind of it makes sense to bring those two together. What I think is really cool about this is that Ben is actually reinvesting in Learning Pool um, and he's going to be the chief product officer. And also there's going to be Learning Pool Labs where staff and customers can investigate real world problems and develop those solutions and improve business outcomes. Uh, so that sounds pretty exciting. So it's not just we've bought you, here's a massive payoff. It sounds like it's the coming together together of minds and and also kind of possibilities yes very much so it's it's uh, like you say it's not just a um a straight up acquisition ben's going to be heavily uh, actively involved in the new company um and he's clearly a man with uh, a vision and extremely clever within an amazing set of products so um probably a very good acquisition for learning pool following their um acquisitions of MindClick and uh, media Core. so let's see where that one goes Yeah, and Paul McElvaney says uh, some really great stuff is that we want to work closely with them for innovation, business positive business impact and driving customer service, which Paul has always been about. And he really knows his stuff. He's got a great background and history himself. So bringing together all of those people should be amazing. Indeed. That was this week's news. So next up, of course, we come on to this month's magazine. The theme of the month is personal and career development. Joe, how's your personal and career development going? Well, I think it's pretty good. I'm running my own company, working for TJ, doing lots of other bits and pieces in a pretty happy place, but it takes work and effort to get there. And I think that's some of the stuff that we discover through the magazine this month. Yes, Joe, nice segue. Uh, let's talk about Don Taylor's piece. Uh, Don, uh, The Dontourage uh, talks about, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal, his stand first. At last, L&D becomes a profession, says Don Taylor, which I think um, may be a little bit harsh, but uh, positive in general. But the quote I wanted to pull out from it, which I think is uh, sums it up perfectly, is this. The complexity of our discipline today, along with the wide range of tools and technologies available, means L&D is no longer a place for generalists who tackle issues armed only with energy and a willing attitude. I'm also not sure I agree with that. But it's a good quote. In their place, we need people who understand the wider field of L&D while also developing themselves in one area. Welcome to the era of the T-shaped professionals who know something about everything and everything about one thing. So T-shaped professionals, and Debbie mentions it in her leader as well, is something that I heard a long time ago when I was working for a digital 
agency and uh, they're always talking about t-shaped creatives joe have you come across this yeah tj did some research on it a while ago and i think i used it in a presentation at online educa berlin a couple of years ago and i like the idea of knowing a lot about the organization the business kind of more broadly but and that's across the top of the t and then the bit where you kind of have the t coming down that's where you deep dive into your l d knowledge or your leadership development or in my case virtual classrooms and webinars your case kind of you're much more in the social media space so that's where you develop those skills yeah I think it's a good progression for L&D professionals and um, I it's, it's kind of a combination almost isn't it of, uh, of being a generalist and a specialist which is uh, which is I think a good thing yeah it's the combination of both of those things because if you don't know about the context that you're in, how can you apply what you know? And if you don't know anything, you've got nothing to apply. So, Joe, on the opposite page, or the opposite side of that uh, page, we've got Cook Looks. Uh, we reference one of my very favourite films in the Stanfest. Tell us a bit more about what you talk about this month. I love the stand first because I never write that that big bold introduction at the top of them of the article I only write the article so absolutely loved it uh, because I talk about being a ghostbuster and uh, this is something that was really funny because when I was 13 and went for my careers uh, conversation at school I said I wanted to be a parapsychologist can you imagine the face my careers advisor pulled John <laughs> Only, only just about. Um, and she didn't know what it was. Uh, and, you know, it's it's kind of uh, funny to say it was a ghostbuster, but it was about investigating the paranormal. That's what I was interested in at 13 years old for some reason. Uh, but what they did was just go, well, your mum's a childminder. Why don't you become a nanny? And that could not be further from what I wanted. Uh, and it was really annoying that they didn't just look at the skills of what will you need? Well, you'll need to be able to investigate. It would be good to study psychology. You might need to write reports study English um, and kind of go through those steps. Ironically, all the things that I would need to do that job, I use to do my job today. Uh, but they it was a really negative experience. And with reference to the Ghostbusters, oh, it's a bit geeky. I do occasionally dress up as a Ghostbuster or some of the other characters, maybe Janine, maybe the Marshmallow, Lass, as we call me, uh, and we go and raise money for charity. That sounds like a very cool way to raise money for charity. Yeah, it's a really good excuse to go dress up and have fun. <laughs> um, so moving on from uh, on the opposite page to, to uh, what Cook's been looking at, uh, we have Leggy Webb, who was last year's TJ Special Achievement uh, Award winner. And uh, she talks about changing habits and how to how to get out of doing what you've always done to get new results, essentially, which is uh, which is obviously a very good frame of mind to be in. Uh, Debbie talks about the TJ Awards 2019, which, by the way, have closed. They closed on Wednesday, uh, 12th of June. Today is Friday, 14th of June, as we record this. We gave everyone until the end of this week, Friday, 14th of June, to finish their applications. We've had a lot of applications in. We've had more than 200 applications from over 100 companies. So uh, an incredible breadth of uh, people applying to the TJ Awards this year. Very exciting. Cover star, Rob Ashcroft who was L&D Professional of the Year last year. Uh, we interview him as our Spotlight star. Yeah, one of the things I really like about what Rob is talking about, he is asked about who inspires him. And he references two people, Elon Musk for his drive and innovation to make the world and society a better place. And there's a lot of negativity in the press and, and things around Elon Musk. And I think one of the things that um, Rob is picking up on is that sometimes you have to be disruptive in order to move forwards. The second person that 
Rob mentions, is David Williams at Impact International. And he said it's about authenticity and how true he is to himself. And I've met and worked with David Williams, and I completely agree with that. And it's interesting how those things, in terms of our career progression and development, it's that authenticity and your passion and being true to what it is that drives you can make an impact not only on your own career, but actually on all the people around you, your friends, family, colleagues, the business, and also the people you're working with and trying to help. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very important point, I think. Um, the, the way you act affects everyone around you, and and uh, and that's a, a part, I guess, of the culture that you do your work in, really. The next piece uh, from Ryan Parker about the zigzag career path. Uh, we do talk about VUCA in the stand first, but let's skip over that. Um, a couple of quotes I wanted to uh, pull out from this piece, uh, which we can talk about. The days of a trainer droning company-specific technicalities from behind the bright lights of an overhead projector have evolved into a multi-modular, interactive, experiential, gamified, blended learning, custom-designed curricula. So if talent management practitioners, human capital developers and learning specialists are to, are to help grow shareholder value by supporting human performance improvement, they need to be ready to support career development. This means making sure that the individual employee has cited the most accessible opportunities available to them where commercial goals and personal development goals align. Further, there should be a career development structure based on an agreed design founded on a shared model of the world of work. I think this is really, really, really important. Yeah, I think what is coming out here really is that it's no longer about just training for uh, what you need to do, what buttons do you need to press at work, what's the process at work for what you need to do right now. And we're living in a world where people are working longer. We've had uh, stuff from OEB last year and we've talked about uh, Herd Reeson's kind of 100-year life, I think it was, where we're going to have multiple careers and need that support throughout our life. But also there's all sorts of research out there and, you know, Henry Stewart will talk about this as well. Happy Henry, one of our columnists, that if you have your employees who are happy and engaged, not only are they going likely to stay, but actually they're going to provide better for your clients and customers. And I really picked this up at the Adobe event this week, that admittedly they were quite senior, the people that I was dealing with, but they had all been at Adobe 16 years, 20 years, 23 years. And people don't stay at companies that long if they're unhappy. So that told me something instantly about those companies. So I was talking to uh, a lady called Rachel Orchard, who's, oh, I think, whose podcast you've been on, Joe. I have, and she's absolutely lovely. Yes, and I think I'm going to uh, feature on an upcoming episode of hers as well. And we were talking about uh, whether kind of the maturity of your learning journey as a company is uh, if there's any correlation to company size and I was I was saying that uh, there's a general there's there's kind of a stereotype possibly in some circles about larger companies being less maneuverable and less agile Um, and that can also affect their um, L&D strategy or or, or the maturity of their L&D model and but actually you find some of the most innovative stuff going on at really, really large companies who've got really good cultures, who've got a really good talent succession and talent retention strategy. So it's not always um, the case. And I guess it comes down to money that and they can afford to employ uh, a, a dedicated department for this sort of thing. But it's not always the case that smaller companies um, have the better culture essentially. Yeah, that's a good point. And money is a factor in that, absolutely. But I think it's also about where the 
the CEO, the board, the heads of senior management, whoever's making those decisions, their attitude to things. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, it seems that we can uh, talk about every single piece in this uh, magazine this month and it might take forever. But one last one, I promise, uh, is the next piece actually in the mag, which is about how L&D can get a seat at the top table from Guy Bloom, uh, creator of Living Brave and author of Living Brave Leadership. Uh, so the quote I'm going to pull out for this um, it's a question, I mean, going back actually to the to the actual title of the article, when I started 10 years ago in L&D publishing, L&D digital publishing, I was hearing this all the time then, and we're still kind of hearing it. And I like to think that it things have moved on in some ways, but it's a bit rubbish that this is still a question. Um, but anyway, the quote is, are we valuable? To which the answer is not just yes, it's actually yes, but... The but is couched in an oft-held belief that, yes, you are valuable, as all departments are, but in the commercial reality that we operate in, L&D is one of the less valuable chess pieces on the board. You aren't one of the bigger back row pieces. That can sting a bit, and if it does, it's probably because you feel it as having some truth, and it is far from always true. It's just true a lot more than people like to speak about. Joe, what do you think? I think he's absolutely spot on. And obviously, in some industries and organisations, L&D or the individuals involved in that will have a better seat at the table, if you want to call it that. But that's because they've put the work in, they've got the consultancy approach, they've got the modern learning approach, and they're achieving on that. And they've got a great relationship with those more senior people. In other organisations, that's not the case. And that's not necessarily through the lack of trying. There are people reading our magazines, coming to our webinars, on our LinkedIn group, discussing these things, but for whatever reason, the culture isn't there. And that can take time to change, or maybe they need to change business in order to be able to move forwards. So I think there's a, as a stereotype and a broad brushstroke, I think there's a lot of uh, truth in what Kai is saying there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, there's tons more in this magazine, but uh, all you subscribers, it should be on your doorstep. If not, uh, you can read it online. If you want to sign up, we can give you three months free. Just DM us. Uh, I've just kind of done the boilerplate end bit there, haven't I? <laughs> ah, mix it up, it's all good. So, John, let's talk about webinars. Obviously, one of my favourite topics, but also even more exciting. What are we doing with our TJ webinars? I don't know, Joe. Are we are we allowed to say everything? Can we tell the people? Everything about our new uh, exciting webinar news? Yeah, I think so. I have made you hold off until we've kind of been ready. But what we're doing as of uh, this month, actually, in a couple of weeks' time, we have done a little polish up on our webinar. I prefer to call them um, kind of video discussions, really, or live video discussions, because that's what they are rather than your boring kind of salesy webinar. But we're going to make them a little bit different. We are. Uh, so... We are going to split them into two. So we're going to do two a month that are shorter. Uh, we're going to do TJ Talks Insight and TJ Talks Practice. What have we got coming up first? What we have on June 25th for our relaunch is our Insight session. And that is with Jane Hart. Really looking forward to discussing with her about new trends and technologies we can use to design and deliver modern training experiences. So it will just be half an hour, short, sharp, um, and it will be at 12.30 UK times so and lunchtime in the UK. Um, and it should be really great one-on-one -on -one discussion, get a bit more in depth with one individual. Yes. So 25th of June, 
still free. Sign up. It's going to be. I keep wanting to call it a launch party, and I'm not sure it's a quite a party. But it's definitely, <laughs> definitely a good relaunch, and I'm very excited about it. You can always buy me a drink for any party. That's fine by me. So after that one, what's our first practice webinar all about? So our uh, TJ Talks practice, it's all about having an experienced L&D professional come along with some valuable know-how we can apply. And that is the lovely Christina Gad. And she's talking about training needs analysis versus learning needs analysis. And we're going to ask, is there really a difference? And we're kind of already on social media, Chris and I are kind of lining up for a kind of like, is it going to be a challenge? Is it going to be a fight? Are we going to argue over this? Uh, or I, I think we might just end up agreeing, to be honest. But I think it's a really good discussion to have. Yeah, completely. And uh, I'm very excited about the relaunch. I mean, the webinars, they've been great for ages, but it's it's going to be good to kind of split these these things up make them shorter make them sharper make them more focused and uh, and and also make one very practical and make another kind of a bit more about research and trends and that sort of thing so very very excited yeah looking forward to it so that's june 25th july 9th twelve thirty uk time see you there hi tjs it's john here i recently spoke to pam august consultant facilitator designer coach and co-learner she used to work for a company called westjet but now she's off to do her own thing we talked about people strategy culture and various other things they say culture eats strategy for breakfast but what does it have for lunch maybe you'll find out enjoy we're going to be talking about people about staff about uh, about the workforce in general uh, so my first question is all businesses want to be people focused but what does that look like day to day what's your what's the communication strategy and what does your office look like um, well, I think at, you know, I think it's so I think at WestJet, um, where I worked for 14 years in in the people and culture department. And so just the first thing to say, it's interesting how more and more these days, people organizations are talking not about having HR departments, but having people departments. WestJet for 23 years has had a people department. And so I think you know, before talking about the day-to-day, I think it's important just to point out that people people at WestJet have been part of the picture, a critical part of the picture from day one, and it's part of the DNA. And the language that gets used in the organization is a key part of that. And so I would say, you know, day, day-to-day, things looking people-focused would be the fact that it's actually embedded into the way everything gets done. And so, you know, if I'm speaking, speaking about WestJet in particular, WestJet has a very robust um, internal communications platform known as Yammer. And so everything, you know, Yammer is like the internal Facebook, everything, everything that gets communicated gets posted onto the hub. And everything that gets communicated gets posted posted onto Yammer. The WestJet campus is is a very collaborative space. Um, the way the way that it's designed is that all of the different pods have quite low walls, so you're never it's never like you're in a in a tunnel when you're at your pod. It requires just a quick stand up. And you can can see literally everybody on the floor, um, and so it looks like you know an open workspace. It looks like lots of meeting rooms, which are very difficult to book. 
because there is so much face-to-face interaction happens. Um, and it looks like it's interesting at the at the campus where in Calgary, Canada, where most of the employees um, that are not up in the sky or in hangars or at airports work are, are under one roof. If you were to walk into the campus, you would walk into a space that has a very large open market with seating area that it looks like nobody's working. <laughs> and And what's fascinating about that is it's truthfully where most people have their meetings because it is the meeting rooms, meeting spaces are always booked and it is a place to gather and it is a place to connect. And when I was at WestJet, I just recently um, am rewiring my career after uh, leaving the organization at the end of January. I used to literally hold office hours in the Sunterra market because not only was I able to meet with the people that I was scheduled to meet with, it was in the coffee lineup was the best place to connect with the people that you needed to connect with. So I would say um, we use technology um, to reach people. So there's, you know, weekly, weekly letters that come out from WestJet's president and CEO called Ed Talks. His name is Ed Sims and they're called Ed Talks and he didn't name them Ed Talks. They were actually named for him. And every Friday at 8 a.m., a letter comes out to the organization, every member of the organization from our president. It looks like as well, weekly follow-up communications in in all of the departments. Um, And it looks like a lot of town halls. It looks like a lot of team meetings and it looks like a lot of one-on-ones. So to build on that idea of uh, people focus, if you, for example, like, like WestJet or any airline, if you've got quite a large globally distributed staff or staff that end up in lots of different places around the globe what challenges does that bring to stay people focused um i think you know even before we were a global airline those challenges were real um really felt and again part of the fabric of westjet because an airline has a unique situation where most people that work in the company do not work in a building and do not work at a computer. They are literally up in the air or dispersed all over operations in, in, in airports. And, and so, you know, the role, the role of, of local leadership is really, really important um, and staying connected with local leadership so that they stay connected with their teams is an important strategy. And just even on that note, I, I notice I'm using the word connected a lot it was a number of years ago we were doing, um, because we do regular employee pulse surveys or did employee well, pulse surveys and continue to do so. I was, you know, working with a, a team and and I said, I, I asked them two questions. I said, how many of you um, say there needs to be more communication? And everybody put up their hand. I said, how many of you would like to get more emails in your inbox? And everyone's hand went down. And so everyone says they want more communication underneath the request for more communication is a request to feel more connected. And an email and technology is one way to do that when it's not physically possible. Nothing though can replace the connection that happens when people are in the same space at the same time. And so coming back to your question again around a globally distributed staff, 
the model at WestJet as well is that um, all employees or WestJetters, um, as as they're called in the organization, as and I'm now a retired WestJetter, are employees of the company. Everybody else outside of the borders of Canada, though, are contracted third-party handlers. And what's really, really interesting is that a number of the letters that come in from our guests and emails that come in from our guests talking about the great experience they have actually come outside of the Canadian borders. And so WestJet works really, really hard to build connection and build relationship, not only with WestJetters um, domestically, but with, with WestJet's contracted partners. And so just very recently, like a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, speaking at the HR Network uh, Scotland conference about culture with a focus on the WestJet story. And I was saying this. And then in the follow-up questions, the first question that came up was from a gentleman in the audience who said, I don't have a question. He said, I have a comment. And he was actually the station manager from the WestJet base in Glasgow, Scotland. And, and what he said is that as an operations person and working with other airlines, when the commercial agreements were, are set, he's never part of the conversation. With WestJet, it was the first time he was brought into the conversation from an operations perspective and also from a culture perspective where so much of the conversation was about um, relationship and behavioral expectations and also values alignment. So WestJet really goes out of their way um, to build connections and relationship with all partners and, and all employees. Um, and the, the challenge is, the, the reality is, it's a 24-7 global operation. And, and so, you know, people that work in aviation like the fact that when they're not at work, they're not at work. And they like the fact that they have very flexible schedules that allows them to be away from work for extended periods of time um, without having to use their vacation hours. And so the challenge is, how do we help people upload faster and plug in faster? Because if someone's away from work for two weeks at a time, when they come back, it always feels like a new adventure that they were not part of. And so we have the mechanisms in place um, with which to do that. The challenge is building commitment in people to take their end of the bargain, to stay connected when they're not physically there. So you mentioned it already, the C word, but um, to do if, you, if you've got a people-focused uh, business and uh, it, it all comes down to culture and the old cliche, I mean, I, mean, I even heard it this weekend at an event, uh, the old cliche is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. If that's the case, then... How does culture change happen, do you think? I think culture change happens the way Susan Scott, the author of Fierce Conversations, describes it. Gradually, then suddenly. The challenge with culture is that culture operates in a complex system. And so if I go back, you know, use an aviation metaphor, um, flying planes is very complicated, um, I'm actually raising a pilot. My 17-year-old son, he can fly a plane. He's a, pilot, a licensed pilot, but he can't drive a car. Um, and I was flying with him last night. And it is very, very complicated, meaning you need to be an expert in order to do it. So once you become an expert at flying a plane, which is a complicated system, 
there is direct cause and effect. So if this happens, then you do this, and then you can expect this outcome. Culture, though, operates in a complex system, which is emergent, unpredictable, and somewhat self-regulating, which means there is no direct cause and effect. And so culture change happens very gradually than suddenly, both in the ways of, boy, our culture has developed into something we're really proud of, and oh, how did we end up here? This is not what we wanted to build at all. And so I would say, you know, the way, the way that, that I've approached um, culture change, you know, working within WestJet and now working with other really great organizations in Canada and outside is, is I, I, I use the metaphor of like building a fire and the kindling approach. Too often in organizations, um, HR professionals, um, outside consultants come in and they say, here's everything that needs to happen. Here's all the change that needs to occur. And they just build a program and a communication strategy. And all of these, these elements are right and they're good um, and, they're, and they're, you know, the appropriate things. The problem is we do it all too much at once. And it's like dumping a big log on a fire that is not yet burning. And so the, the, the approach that I think is much more effective is to identify what you want to build, identify and be really real about what is being the lived experience of culture right now. Um, and then identify the few smallest actions and the most likely places that they are going to literally catch on fire and start there. And then learn from those lessons, observe, respond, and then, pardon me, apply those lessons in other areas um, so that they catch fire. And, and the challenge, I think, I think the, the great thing about that approach is through experience, um, we have seen it work. The challenge is it requires patience and it requires discipline and commitment to stick to it, even when immediate results are not largely felt. So I've mentioned it already, or rather you've mentioned it already, but... Um which is Yammer, I'm going to talk about new technologies. I know uh, you say that um, that nothing can beat the face-to-face, and I uh, I know exactly what you mean. But um, apart from Yammer, what other kind of new technologies do you think can play a part in bringing uh, a business's people together? Well, I think, first of all, I'm, I'm in the generation. You should probably, I should probably um, get you to ask my sons that question. <laughs> um, I, I would say, you know, I mean, the fact that we're having this conversation right now and you are over, you know, in the UK, I'm here in Canada, we're seven hours apart. Um, and yet we're able to have this kind of a, a conversation speaks to the power of, of technology to bring people together. I would say the, the, the more kinds of technologies that are more multisensory, so where you can hear people, where you can see people, um, where imagery is part of it. WestJet is is very much a storytelling culture. And stories are the things that connect us. And and we're starting to see that, you know, on Instagram and we're seeing it on Facebook and we're seeing this. It's it's not about just putting things up there. 
It's actually about building a story. So I think the the, the technologies that allow us to um, craft and tell and share and then co-create stories are, are going to be the ones that, that bring it together. And so imagery is really critical in that. Um, video that is even more dynamic is really critical in that. And the opportunity for um, synchronous or, or live connection is another one that, that's really important. So obviously culture change isn't something that happens immediately overnight. It takes a long time. So, so what are kind of the, what are the, what's the skill set? What kind of people do you need to, to do this? What can facilitate this change happening then? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned it, mentioned it earlier in, in, in the podcast is that culture change requires um, discipline and it requires commitment and it requires a stick to itness. And I think the other thing that it requires is a high degree of resilience. Because often in this work, as a practitioner, I felt and feel at times like I'm banging my head against the wall. Because it feels like there's so many obstacles. There, you know, the reality is that we're resistant to change. And it feels like all the work is, is going nowhere. And so I think what's really important is for people who are practicing in this space is this work starts on the inside and works out. And so a high degree of, of self-awareness, a high degree of self-discipline, a high degree of self-care is, is really important. And, and so, you know, in working with um, the Culture Builders, which is part of my new adventures now as one of their faculty, the program that, that they're, one of the programs that they offer, the Bank of Me, is, is really all about building that resilience within um, and then building that resilience in relationship within team and within culture so that you can actually stick with and bring your best performance and work um, to the change that you want to be part of. And, and so, you know, there's a number of strategies that are within that. Um, and all of those strategies at the core require us to, to discipline ourselves to practice over and over and over again. Well, Pam, thanks ever so much for talking to TJ. I know it's um, a few hours earlier on the uh, across the pond, as it were, um, but really good to uh, hear from you and hope to speak to you soon. I love it. Thank you. It was a great way to start my day here. Great stuff. Well, that concludes another epic uh, TJ podcast for June. Uh, Joe, what have we got coming up next month? Next month, John, it is all about managing and developing teams. How do you manage and develop me as one of your team members, John? Okay, I, I have no idea. WhatsApp? WhatsApp's always good. <laughs> yeah, WhatsApp. I think we use that for inspiration, for fist bumps, for telling each other off, <laughs> sharing Star Wars pictures. It's, I'm not really sure that's the best management approach, but it works for us. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's good with emojis and stuff. And uh, so it's generally the way we communicate. Although I think we also use Skype and text and Twitter and uh various other things so there's yeah. plenty of ways to stay in touch really there are so we will look uh, beyond using whatsapp uh, for management in our next issue of the magazine and on the website and we look forward to also seeing you on our webinars as well see you soon TJ 
podcast is hosted by John Kennard, Joe Cook and Kate Graham. It's produced and edited by me, John Kennard, with additional production by Joe Cook. Title music is by The Leisure All-Stars featuring Yolanda. The sponsorship music is by Audio Nautics and is used under a Creative Commons licence. TJ is a publishing title owned by Dodds Group PLC.